Join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store Nightmares. Hello, welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the musical films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a little scene, but wonderfully entertaining shot on video film from England, GBH, or Grievous Bodily Harm. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1983's GBH on YouTube for free and at a runtime of an hour and 13 minutes, you should definitely take the time to watch this movie if you have not had the pleasure before listening to this podcast. We should start right off the bat with the one man operation behind this film, uh, who is Cliff Twemlo. What do you know, if anything, about Cliff? This is a modern day renaissance man. He started life as a bouncer, right? Yes. And then he began to compose music for, for soundtracks and library records, like incredibly funky disco music. I, does it surprise you that one person is both a bouncer and a talented composer? I came across this film by pure chance knowing absolutely nothing about it and if you if you there's nothing here to indicate that this one man did the direction the acting the producing the composing and the choreography he literally did everything in this film and the script he wrote the script someone else directed it named david kent watson Oh, you didn't tell me this guy didn't sit in the director's chair at some yeah. point? Yeah, the director was David Kent Watson, who only directed a handful of other things. But Cliff Twemlow did everything else. Um, and I want to see his other movies that he wrote, including GBH2. But they're really not available anywhere. There is one upload of the second GBH film. And... The quality is so bad. It is unwatchable. It, it is, we're talking about like, like 50p and the audio is desynced. Here's the, here's the movies he direct or he wrote. So tell me you don't want to see all of these. Tuxedo Warrior, The Abiza Connection, Predator, The Quietus, Lethal Impact, Firestar First Contact, Bad Weekend, and The Eye of Satan. So Lethal Impact is GBH2. Right. I, I have a feeling that not all of these titles are going to live up to this one, but I would still go out of my way to watch all of them. 
Yeah, but he he was he has 20 soundtrack credits, six composer credits, 16 credits for music department work. Like he he's a musically talented guy. And almost all the music in the movie is is his music. Can we just play a a clip of the the beautiful anthem we get over the opening credits? What do you think of the music in the movie? Well, first off, this movie opens up like an 80s television action show. Like, it is so unusual. I was going to say it feels like it's from 10 years earlier. Like, that sounds like that sounds like a 1972 Italian Polizia score. Oh, not- I'm not even talking about the music. I mean, the general credit sequence. It... <laughs> It literally does like the star like it go it, it does the credits run through with like starring, introducing, and also, and each one is followed by a headshot that you know it's like maybe two seconds of action into a still frame. Yeah, it's a very I see that a lot of time after at the end of movies that are comedies, especially in the eighties and nineties. Are you a fan of when they do that? The freeze frame on the actor's face? I think it's um, appropriate for the time. I don't think that shit would fly now in in any film. <laughs> I have like deja vu of having this conversation before, but I, I, I like it in comedies, but I don't like it in other kinds of movies. I, we have talked about this before because I remember they also do this in war films. Ah, uh, yeah, I remember this conversation. And we thought it was strange that you know it would be in both. the The music overall. The only complaint I could make is that it it really is disco, and it it really is seventies, and feels outdated here. But I I do think it's good, and it's very charming and enjoyable, and, and the credit sequence got me pumped up. I don't think this music's outdated. I mean, it's obviously from a different period of time. But this still sounds good today. This is well composed. I will say, if you edited out all of the songs from this movie, and I mean entire songs that we hear, and the fight scenes, there'd be like 10 minutes of movie. There are times where this feels more like a music video than an action. I don't know, what do you want to call this? Like Euro crime drama? Yeah, I guess it's a crime drama. Yeah, this movie does feel like it could be potentially a pilot for something bigger than this. And I would have watched the shit out of this. Yeah, really, like, it feels like Cliff Twemlow is setting himself up as like a James Bond, right? That could be in a whole series of movies where he fights off different gangs or, you know, rescues different women, that kind of figure. I don't think it's James Bond. I think it's Charles Bronson who he's channeling here. Oh, that's fair. He's got he's trying to do like the suave thing, though, with his white tuxedos. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a nightclub. You gotta look. You gotta look your best. You gotta look dapper as fuck when you're about to pound somebody's teeth out. 
What else should we say about this before we get to the trailer? The music is diverse. It isn't just limited to like 70, 80s funk. It goes to all over the place. The album is everywhere. Yeah, it's too bad this has never gotten a release as far as I know. And by the way, it's never gotten a release of any kind in the United States. Like, there's no VHS, there's no DVD, there's no Blu-ray. So if if you are an enterprising person associated with, like, Arrow or Vinegar Syndrome or any of the other interesting companies out there who are scooping things up, get the rights to this, please. I would love to see a nice, cleaned-up version of this. I would buy a box set with this, the sequel, and maybe like a couple other things from this band's catalog, even if they are complete ass compared to this film. Yeah, this film gets no love. Uh, and I think it must be because it does not have a release. Because if you look at other shot on video stuff from this period, I mean, in the VHS community and in the Blu-ray community, people go mad collecting this stuff because they rightly i think love these films but this one I, I we looked at a few weeks ago we looked at bleeding skulls top 50 shot on video films this one wasn't even on it a few weeks wasn't that like months ago perhaps i have a very subjective experience with time mm. but yeah it really in in terms of pure entertainment value it really is that good um there's no one there's no one else here really worth talking about, though, except Cliff Twemlow. What do you think of him as an actor? It, does, it feels more like he's just playing himself, which is not a bad thing here, because this, this movie seems uh, pretty based on his life experience, right? Like, obviously, he probably didn't go to prison for murdering people on the job, but um, it, it, this feels like grounded and experienced to a degree yeah so to, to give the basic synopsis of the film he's a he's a bouncer who has gone to prison and he's just getting out and his old boss needs him to come back to the nightclub because there's this rival gang moving in on his turf and they want to take over the club it's a very like boilerplate it, basic treatment of a plot there's barely story here um you get the you get the requisite romance between twemlo and his love interest what do you think of their relationship we should start by saying i don't think this movie takes itself super seriously i don't think so either i think it's kind of weakening now because their relationship moves at the speed of light like they have or or there's a time jump that's not really um well placed in the film because they go to bed they maybe have like one amazing afternoon together and then suddenly they love each other but isn't that like all 80s movies yeah i guess especially 80s action movies like the the main characters fall in love in you know a single page of the screenplay that that's kind of how it happens here but it's fine because this movie isn't trying to be some serious you know portrayal of the the, the human experience right this is just it's hard action hard fucking and like lit music and, and that's what you're here for 
Oh, what I was going to say is that if it weren't for the, the sex and the fighting, this could be like a cartoon. That's basically what it is. These are like cartoon character versions of people. Let's let's pause there. Let's play the trailer, and then we'll go through the the story. <laughs> Keller's back. Took over the rainbow rooms last night. Chevy's came in on the doorman, wiped the floor. When I say go, we'll cripple the bastards. My club next, the zoo. If Keller wants something, he takes it. I want that club. Do you understand? Nobody can stand up to Keller. There is one man who can stand up to him. Oh, yeah. Who's that? The man Cuny. Charles Bronson. You look old. Too old. I seem I'm too old. Nobody tells Big Nick Rafferty when he's had enough to drink. is that it it was like a two minute trailer i know i just i didn't expect it to wrap up that way um if if you could not understand any of the dialogue over that obnoxiously loud music that's all right you're not alone the the one thing that i thought of that as soon as i start watching this movie and i don't know if this is a limitation exactly it's kind of charming but it makes it hard to take the movie seriously is there's a lot of places that are supposed to be bars or clubs or offices that really seem like the inside of someone's house with like curtains hung up around them did you get that impression uh no i i thought all the clubs were clubs well like the very so in the very very beginning we see a scene where it's supposed to be a club, but it looks kind of like someone's living room. And there's some like aerobic disco dancing going on, but there's only like four people in the room and a couple of guys like beat up on the bouncer. And it just, that whole scene, it, I feel like I'm in somebody's house. I'm watching this right now and this toy just looks like a club. Uh, maybe it's just, uh, maybe I have a, a skewed view of what things look like, but I haven't actually been to Great Britain, so I don't know how their architecture works, right? Like, I don't know if they're 
like if they have like a flamboyant abuse of space like they do in america where everything is just fucking huge for no reason maybe the lobby of a nightclub isn't actually that big over there that is a good point i mean i have been there and but you're right like buildings don't have the unnecessary scale that they do here so maybe that's my issue but in the credits these nightclubs that are all brought up in the film are mentioned as like you know thanks to you know the zoo the rainbow room etc so at the very least i think these clubs existed at some point and i would imagine that some of these interior shots were done inside the clubs themselves let's let's talk about this movie really starts after this initial scene with um his name's donovan uh cliff twemlow plays donovan and he's getting out of prison can we start here sure why not Uh, because this this is amazing to me so he gets out and he reconnects with his friend who also works at the bar and is going to try to get him to come back and donovan's like i want to go home and i'm gonna see my girlfriend and you know, relax. And uh, his friend says that his girlfriend or wife sold all of his stuff and the house and moved away. And then there's no more talk about her. Did it say how long he was in prison for? No, but I think uh, maybe it did. I thought it was like six months. That's not very long. No, I think it was a very short amount of time. They really make it seem like he's been in there for like a couple years. Maybe. It's just it 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 was it was amazing to me that uh, one that this would happen to somebody and two that this is how they would establish the context for his character is we're giving him a blank start so he can begin a new romance even though he's like fifty because we're gonna let him out of prison we're gonna take away his off screen wife and house and all of his stuff and make him totally dependent upon his new employer and that'll give us the impetus for the plot you know it, just, it feels very silly i don't know that's a better setup than a lot of other films i've seen there's probably more thought put into this setup though than the rest of the script so you know keep that in mind well regardless after learning this donovan's response is I suppose I'm going to have to live out here like Tarzan. Bleeding women. No wonder there's so many queers. <laughs> yeah, listen, there's no hassle. <laughs> I'm going to have to live out here like Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> and no wonder there's so many queers. Which, you know, there's going to be some irony in this statement because... Uh... <laughs> Donovan's relationship with this uh, with this guy borders really strong on bromance. I would say it crosses the line. There's a scene where they're jogging together and they like wrestle and fall to the ground and laugh with one another. And the way the music is set on top of it, it feels like you're watching a romantic comedy, you know, where you get that montage of the couple's early dates before they're established in the relationship. That's what this scene feels like. Or maybe an Activia commercial. (laughs) There's a there, there is a lot of intentional camp in this film. But I do you think know, it's intentional? But I don't know if that was part of it. I don't know if any of the camp is intentional. I think it is. I hope it is, but I'm not sure. 
again, I don't think this film takes itself seriously. And that is where a lot of the charm comes from, because if this was really trying to be something serious, I have a feeling the sequel tries to be something serious. But this one, I think, understands its limitations. So I'm not sure. But if if I were to guess, I'd say I think this movie takes itself seriously insofar as it's not trying to be funny. But I don't think it's trying to be realistic. I think it's trying to be like a James Bond film where like, yeah, there are at the end of the day, there's some really ridiculous things that happen. And like we know that Bond is not a realistic figure. He's unnaturally appealing to women and uh, successful and dangerous situations and all of that. But we're still supposed to take him seriously. And I think that's how this movie feels about Donovan. Anyway, they decide to go look for Sue anyway. And the guy at the bar says that it's closed to Donovan, that he's not allowed in. So this begins immediately the second fight in the movie. This is like a a Hong Kong martial arts movie where every interaction has to build up to a kung fu match. I don't know if I'd relate it to a martial arts film. I think it's more like akin to Roadhouse, but with more guns. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Yeah. But it, regardless, in this world, the world of, of uh, inter-gang warfare through bouncers, um, everything is occasion for a fight. This is a good time to mention that they did all of their own stunts and that uh, Twemlow here is very in shape, especially for his age. And all of his, uh, all the other actors in this film are mostly, in the action scenes at least, are mostly friends from his gym social circle, from what I understand. So all of these guys are just being like amateur stunt actors doing this shit. And that's about their acting ability as well. Hey man, the, the fight choreography in this movie is better than in shit with like 10 times the budget. Well, there's definitely some vanity going on here because Donovan, he might be in really good shape, but he easily dispatches like half the bar. Well, he's the Mancunian man. Expect <laughs> here. <laughs> so they go to an apartment to look for her, and it it says private on the door. Like, where are they? where is this that they are? They are at his old flat. So why does it say private as if it's like an office space? Um, That is either something with the set that they just didn't bother to fix, or (laughs) perhaps it's not entirely uncommon to have private signs on certain doors and living facilities. Maybe this is like a multi-purpose building, and by having private, you know that that's going to be a flat, so you shouldn't go in there. Uh, There's a lot of rationalization. Uh, yeah, but I've bought I've bought less silly things, so I'll I'll take it. But she's not there either. No, there's just some random dudes living in there. And yeah. Donovan's like, yo, I need to come in and see if my if if, if she's there. And they're like, uh no. <laughs> so they fucking home invade and beat the shit out of them. Confirm <laughs> that the girlfriend is definitely not there, and then peace out. <laughs> No so repercussions from this whatsoever. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Play. <laughs> this, this is like a kung fu movie. It's a world where you settle every scene with a fight. I feel like there's more diplomacy in a kung fu film. 
well, Donovan's supposed to be, you know, rough around the edges. Yeah, no, the diplomacy is not his strong point here. So Donovan and his friend Chris go to this house that their boss at the zoo, and that's the name of the nightclub, uh, Murray, he set up this house for Donovan to live in. What do you think of this house? This is clearly not a house. This is like a country club or the lobby to like a, a fucking golf course or something. Especially in England. There's not a lot of buildings like this. It's got like these big glass walls. It's actually really cool. It's kind of a mid-century modern dream, to be honest, but uh, it's very strange. I don't know where this was shot, but it's going to be one of two things. Either it's in a very expensive commercial building in the city itself, or they actually just went out into the country and found this really like secluded, serene like garden plus fountain country club place to shoot this. Well, there's a lot of like faux drama around the fact that Murray never came to visit Donovan when he was in jail and he keeps apologizing for this. I thought this was weird. I thought it was a weird like way to establish their relationship. I mean, it's like a weird classist thing. Like Murray himself says, you know, I can't be seen in the jail. Like, what will people think of me? I've got my reputation to consider. Yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. It's, it, maybe that doesn't mean much to us, but this could probably be a bigger social faux pas in like Britain, perhaps. Consider, though, that this guy was Donovan's boss. Donovan essentially went to jail slash prison for this guy doing his job and this boss couldn't even spend like 10 minutes to come down and be like yo thank you for doing this for me we got you when you're out murray was ready to wash his hands of this guy they set murray up as a like an asshole at the beginning of the movie for this reason but then i end up like liking his character okay i, I don't think he comes across that way the rest of the movie because he isn't a dick the rest of the film he apologizes and then he becomes like a you know, regular understanding boss type of guy. Yeah, well, he's letting Donovan live in this house. They agree on a weekly wage of 300 pounds, uh, plus the house and transportation to and from the club. Transportation in this case being a free fucking car. Yeah, so in, in 1982, that actually would have been a lot of money, I think. Did, did you have this pulled up already? No. But I, I'm 300 uh, pounds in so roughly like 900 pounds in in today's like equivalency. Yeah, so that's like so 900 pounds, I think is about eleven hundred dollars. So imagine eleven hundred dollars a week plus your room and your transportation. This is a pretty good gig. That shows you how fucking scared Murray is about losing his club or yeah, and that, how scary this man is. You want him to be on your side. Like, could you imagine if like the criminal element approached Donovan first? We're like, hey, man, we just want the zoo. Help us out. Yeah. You know, this old boss, he screwed you. Why, why, why do you want to work for him? You know? Yeah. They should have done that. 
Although, and at this point, Donovan doesn't even know about this gang turf thing. Uh, and when he finds out, which is during the bromance scene where they roll around uh, in the grass together, uh, he's pissed when he finds out. He, uh, yeah, he just got out of jail. And now you're going to put him in a situation where he could potentially go back if he has to crack some skulls. Let's talk about the zoo. There's like a taxidermied bird hanging from the ceiling. It looks very cool, but it doesn't look like a nightclub to me. I can't comment, man. I've never been inside a British nightclub. A All right. discoteca, if you will. <laughs> I don't know what they call them. Do they, they don't call them discotecas in, uh, in Great Britain, I don't think. I think they uh, in the movie they call them clubs. Yeah, they just call them clubs. Yeah, but th this is a scene that really establishes the movie you're in for. If the, uh, oh, no wonder there's so many queers line, didn't already do it. Murray invites Donovan to come to the bar and have a drink before he starts his shift. And this girl there tells Donovan that he looks too old to be a bouncer. And so he decides to show her just how young he is by dragging her into the bathroom to have sex. Consensually? <laughs> Question mark? It's questionable. I mean, it's presented the same way like Sean Connery era James Bond is, where if Bond wants to have you, there is no such thing as rape. Like, that's essentially what this is. She starts to say something, and he just shuts her up by fucking her into the stall. <laughs> so this is, and so remember that Chris Twemlow wrote this movie as well. So this is the way he wanted to build this character. I assume he means it as a self-compliment. All right. So the first time I watched this, I was only half paying attention. And I, I got the impression that this was sort of like a, I mean, obviously this is kind of a vanity project, but it got, I thought it was like much more vain than it really was. I do feel like this guy is self-inserting himself in into situations that um he would like to be in but he is at least joking about his age right like the jokes might be tasteless but he's at least self-aware that he is much older than than an actor that would typically take this kind of a role on the one hand i agree that that's true there does seem to be some self-awareness and like self-deprecation going on but it, it, think about the setup that we see now, right? Basically, Donovan's job when he's not fighting is to wander around a club listening to 70s porn music that he composed while girls dance, and he drinks and flirts with them and pulls girls into the bathroom to have sex. Like, this is, this is a fantasy, even if he's not, like, being vain about it. it. He still constructed a fantasy for himself to play on screen. Perhaps. I mean, I, I totally agree. I just don't know how much of it is like actually, God, is malicious the right word? Maybe no, I, I, I don't think it's malicious. No. Predatory? He, <laughs> you know what? There's actually, this next scene encapsulates it. He gives a speech to the bartender about what life's all about. Tongues at the old heartstrings, eh? Yeah, I suppose it does. You know, Alex, this is my favorite time to become sentimental. Between darkness and light. You get to thinking. 
all the mistakes you've made, all the good time girls you've screwed. And uh, you begin to wonder what it's all about. At the end of the evening, the last drink, some girl singing her heart out through the speakers. You know, I reckon you and I are pretty special people. We work our asses off while the rest of the world play. I suppose that's the way it's always going to be. You know, we're mad. We hate it while we're here. We miss it when we're not here. Look, I gotta go. Got a heavy day tomorrow. Twemlow is such a genius. Did did you know that woman singing in the background is also him? Oh, what do you think of that speech? Um, and you, you know, <laughs> you start to wonder about all the good time girls you screwed. I, I'm so sad because I just kick so much ass and fuck so much ass. <laughs> <laughs> what does it all mean? <laughs> yeah. So, th- so you everyone think- else is just is just playing around while we're working here. <laughs> So you think this speech is supposed to be campy that this is like that this is not that this is self-aware? Oh, I don't I don't know anymore. I'm starting to question it. <laughs> it's questionable, man. It is questionable. Uh, but we, we will never know the truth, right? The well, I don't know cuz the next scene has to be self-aware where well, he I, goes We I mean we should uh, get this out of the way too. Um, uh, Twemlow passed away. Um I want to say late 90s. Does that sound right? I'm not sure. I haven't looked. Yeah, it was um, unexpected heart attack, something like that. Well, that dampens the mood before we talk about um, <laughs> the teddy bear scene. Well, I mean, I, I can tell you, though, the delivery of that entire monologue was was pretty flat. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the defining character trait of uh, Donovan is that he's stoic. But so it doesn't. Is this, is this a magnificent performance or bad acting? I'd have to see his other movies. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I, if if anyone out there can provide us with, you know, any other Twimlow masterpieces, we would love to analyze them. I really would. We will dedicate an episode to each one we can get our hands on. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally fair. There's a very weird scene here with a teddy bear. Oh God! What? You know, talk about self-insert. <laughs> yeah, he goes to his room and he sits down on the bed and next to him is this giant teddy bear. Like, it's almost as big as he is. And he talks to it and he lies down next to it. And I don't know if this is supposed to be funny, but it is. Yeah, this is supposed to be funny because he's going to bed alone. He has a sex dream. <laughs> a very graphic <laughs> sex dream. <laughs> Yeah, it's like himself in this very 80s honeymoon suite making out with Sue, I guess, and having sex. It's it, aside from the sex, just the scene with the teddy bear is almost like a Mr. Bean sketch. Like that's almost how it plays out. It's just, just very realized, silly. I just realized in this one scene, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me, but during this like sex scene, his hair seems a lot darker. I hadn't noticed. I mean, it could be the lighting or it could be changes in his dye job. 
No, this is definitely supposed to be comedic because he's having a sex dream and then he wakes up and he's just like in bed with a fucking bear, a giant stuffed bear. It's just like, oh man, that's not a woman. There, I mean, it's funny. He's like trying to get it to lay down, but because it's built into a sitting position, it doesn't lay down. And <laughs> it, it is, it is funny. This might actually be my favorite scene in the movie. But the the next night at the club, there's some real dancing going on. Uh, this is probably the worst filmed dancing I've ever seen, because the camera zooms in like really close, so that you can't actually see the people dancing. You can just see like body parts. It's it's very inept to me. I think the dancing happens like way like before the bear scene. Well, there's multiple dancing scenes, right? God, yeah, I, there's a lot of dancing. Like this movie is um, what hour thirteen minutes, and I think there's like a good six seven minutes dedicated to just people dancing. That's why I was saying earlier, if you took the dancing scenes out and the singing scenes and the the fight scenes, there'd be no movie. But no, I'm talking about the night where the bad guys show up and confront Donovan. Oh yeah, and he says thing after that. Yeah, he says if he can stand the pain, I don't mind the exercise. Oh yeah, Donovan's not backing down. He's the Mancunian man. <laughs> we stop hearing that nickname after like 25 minutes. What? So what is the nickname? Is that that where he's from? Mancunian man. Mancunian is a. Uh, like adjective for someone from manchester okay all right that's what i thought but i i was trying to verify um no it's this punk guy with his girlfriend and uh there's another great line where she says oh you're the big hard type and he looks down and says i didn't know i was showing i didn't know i was showing <laughs> <laughs> and then donovan has the audacity to kick the boyfriend out for putting a hand on his girlfriend and he steals the girlfriend <laughs> this is how donovan operates if he has to go to bed with a teddy bear one night the next night he's gonna steal somebody's girlfriend well he recognizes that this guy's a dick i'm not saying he's not but i don't know if donovan is is any less of a dick maybe I mean, a little bit she's not really feeling it right no but he he asks her if she wants a drink, and she says yes. And uh, there's a lot more dancing and more dancing and more dancing after this. If you don't like disco, like don't watch this movie because you're gonna get a lot of it. If you don't like watching white people dance in the early '80s, do not watch this film. There, there's more. Um, there's another moment here where like guys start fighting with Donovan, but I don't really know why they're fighting. They are hired thugs from the asshole boyfriend who wants to teach Donovan a lesson. So he just starts uh, fucking wailing on him. Yeah, he says... It doesn't this, work at all. He says this is what happens when little boys play men's games. And he just beats the shit out of him. And then we don't see him again. That was it. He steals his girlfriend. Yeah, no, the, the, the girl starts by telling Donovan, like, I'm, I'm going to leave. But then she asks if he'll take her home. And can we play this? The, Donovan, in response, gives a little speech where he says, I don't usually take advantage of girls. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. <laughs> but Tracy, I know how you must feel. I mean, 
You don't know me from Adam. I mean, I could be the kind of a guy that takes advantage of uh, young ladies, and uh, in the past I have done, but um, you don't seem the type of girl that would let a guy, I mean, <laughs> Christ, I'll put some music on. I think that's probably the best acting he does in the entire film, because <laughs> it actually is really awkward. <laughs> yeah. And it just gets more awkward because we find out that her husband died in a plane crash 12 months ago. And his, do you remember his response? Uh, I think he made like a joke about it, right? He says, well, nobody lives forever, do they? (laughs) (laughs) But I have to point out that the, the bed that they're in has this very strange headboard and it looks like the poop emoji. <laughs> it was very distracting. It's very 80s. It's like a like a um vinyl poop emoji on top of the bed. There is a point where it does look kind of like um like soft serve brown poo, like I got Yeah. 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 Um it also looks like it could be the like seats of a really sh- of like a of car that would have been considered fancy in like the 60s. Yeah, I they look it, like car seats. How do you feel about 80s decor? Cuz I hate it. Uh hit or miss, man. I mean, I think I'm more more of the 70s with like pole lamps and shit. Yeah, like I like mid-century all the way through 70s. The 80s is where it drops off the cliff for me. <laughs> Because I hate stuff like this. All the like pastel pink colors and puffy vinyl things. No. It's a fun aesthetic, but I don't want it in my house. I don't even know if I'd call it fun. I might check out of a hotel if the room looked like that. <laughs> what, what what hotels are you going to where they would look like that? I think the weirdest hotel I ever went to was... um, It, it looked like a fucking bordello. Everything was red. It was like everything was cushioned red. The weirdest hotel I ever stayed in, I think this was, I can't remember now. If you know what I'm talking about, tell me. But it had a um, rail uh, a railroad that went through the middle of it. And some of the rooms were the old railway cars. Like you could rent the caboose. What state is this in? That's what I'm trying to remember where this was. It may have been Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, yeah, I've never been to Salt Lake Actually, you know what? No, the weird ass hotel that I I just described was from a layover flight in Salt Lake City. My connecting flight got canceled. And I had to stay in a hotel. Salt Lake City is a weird place. Not just because of the Mormons. It's it's just a weird place. I really wish I remembered the name of that hotel. It definitely wasn't a chain because I'm telling you, this place looked like a somewhere you would pay like old timey people for sex. It was like you know the frilly shit and fluffy red cushions is red and black like a bordello yeah like a bordello well she asks him about prison and he goes on about like laughter of children and the sound of freedom wait wait before we get to that they're they're jogging through the park right no that we're not there yet oh okay okay sorry yeah no this is still the this is still the bed talk the pillow talk where he says I want to say something really romantic and then it's you've got a lovely ass <laughs> was it you think that was supposed to be like a funny line right yeah of course 
all right all right but so maybe after- also genuinely honest right like yeah but that but this, here this is, is the kind of character where you would expect he would not have a way with words true and he really doesn't <laughs> that's it i thought there's a follow-up just no he, he, just, he really doesn't <laughs> But no, the, the, then that morning is when they go running, but she can't keep up with him. I want to talk about her running form. Her running form okay. is like, I don't know, like a six-year-old running for the first time. Her arms are like straight, fully extended by her sides as she's trying to keep up. I think they're trying really hard to make sure that we know she's having a hard time. Uh, yeah, I think she's legitimately having a hard time in the scene. But their, as you said earlier, their relationship builds really quickly because from here on out, they're pretty much inseparable. I, I don't know if there's actually supposed to be like a time skip here, like and, and maybe, you know, there was just some pretty uneventful nights at the at bouncing at the zoo. But yeah, it, otherwise, this is going at the speed of light. Yeah, I mean, so. Let me describe this next part. We can back up if we need to, but there's a big fight at the club. And if we're just going by chronology, this is like the day after they've met. And she gets really upset and she says, go and kill the whole world because she doesn't want to live in a world filled with threats and violence. And she starts packing her bags to leave. All right. Let me stop you right there. Yeah. That fight doesn't happen at the club. That's the organized crime boss's goons coming to Donovan's house to kill him. Oh, I thought they came to the club where he was. No, man. He he like was working out and they've kind of forced their way in and just started fighting him. But this whole climactic uh, I love you and I don't want you to leave scene that it seems like it's the next day. It does seem like it's the next day, but I'm not sure if it's supposed to be. All right. So it's either really silly or really badly edited. We're not sure which. Either way, I don't care. But what do you think about this scene where he says, he says, I love you. And he kisses her and then he throws her down on the bed. She looks at him longingly out the window and he looks back. And we hear an entire song as they stroll around the grounds and hold hands. Ah, yes. I remember now. (laughs) What do you think of this? Did you believe in their love? You know, I think it's wonderful when a couple can work out their differences. But I don't understand why she would be adverse to his way of life when the very first night they met, she literally watched him beat the shit out of, like, at least three people. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of like the the girls who say, I want to date a bad boy. But then three weeks later, they're terrified to leave. But even though they're being beaten up every day, like it's like that. It's like she she knew what she was getting into. You mean like uh, when someone thinks they're into S&M and then they like feel hot candle wax and they're like, ow, no. Yeah, it's just like that. (laughs) He's just a fetish to her. She has a thing for bar bouncers. For Twimlows? Yeah. (laughs) So at this point in my notes, I wrote that the plot really makes no sense. 
I mean, I could understand if the if like the mafia was behind this, like if the mafia was trying to take over clubs and they had this all this force and corrupt law enforcement behind them. But here it's really just one guy. It's really just one guy who wants this. Well, it's one crime boss and he has a whole bunch of goons behind him. It's not just the two dudes that go to kill Donovan in his house. But those are see them later on. Yeah, but that's really only the two guys that we see. Like, we don't see many more. Oh, no, we see the rest of them in the climax. Mm. See, when they when all those other people came out, I was like, who are all these people? Because up for the whole movie, we really just see the one guy and his two henchmen. Yeah, but he has a lot more henchmen. Those are just his two. Uh, I don't know. Those are like his two prime henchmen. These are the two most competent somehow yes <laughs> because that's a really bad <laughs> i think well, that's just the, making my point for me so the one the one henchman the chonkier one um he has like this kindred connection to donovan's character because they were apparently both bouncers at one point before the henchman himself got into the employ of organized crime boss and despite them duking it out the whole film and like seriously injuring each other, they still have this like understanding that they're like, you know, the, the same, one of the same flock. And I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, you think Donovan would be all about like vengeance and murder, but here he is like reaching out like an olive branch to this guy because they're the same. They're cut from the same cloth. Oh, well, and if you don't witness his humanity in this scene, it's I think it's the next scene where he gives a speech about how important music is to him. I do not remember this. It feels very autobiographical. Uh, we get to hear a whole nother song, and then he's telling his girlfriend that he says, I don't know what I'd do without music. music. I don't know what I'd do without music. What a way to express yourself. You do pretty well. You have my attention anyhow. Shall we order? I'm oh, sorry. Look, anytime you want, you just order. I know, but you might not like what I order. Anything, anything at all. I'll learn to like it. Mm. <laughs> He'll learn to like it. But that 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 thing about you music like it was a whole monologue. He said like seven words on how much you like music. I don't know. It really struck me for a couple of reasons. One, it seemed like openly autobiographical, right? Because we know Twemlow has been composing music. But in the context of the movie, it seemed to come out of nowhere because we never hear anything about music from Donovan for the first two thirds of the movie. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's definitely autobiographical. He's just throwing it in there. But it was such a throwaway line. I didn't even remember it. Oh, no, it really stood out to me. I don't know why, but what scene do you want to talk about next? Because I don't think we need to go through all of these different fight scenes. No, we're kind of treated to a montage of stunt work where Donovan just now in that clip we played was actually going out with his girl to not the zoo. He wanted to go to other places so it would actually feel like something special. He was going to nice restaurants and stuff. And then for some reason, after the nice restaurant, they go out to like a bar and they start a fight at <laughs> <laughs> like, like a billiards club. <laughs> One thing I kept thinking throughout this is I'm really glad there's not a lot of guns in this scenario. 
right? Because if this were in America, none of these fight scenes would happen. They would have been shot already. I mean, that's kind of the magic of Roadhouse, right? Like, you don't see a firearm from <laughs> all of these organized mob members until the final boss at the end of the film. Yeah. But um, that's about to be remedied in this movie because the climax is about to happen, and it is chock full of firearms. Well, first, they have a car chase that I just want to point out is the only car chase I think I've ever seen in a shot-on-video movie. It's pretty impressive. Donovan shows up to the to the viper's nest of the organized crime boss. I think it's called the Rainbow Room. And basically gives an ultimatum saying, stay the fuck away from my land. Stay the fuck away from my club. From my, bro, my bros, right? And uh, crime boss doesn't take too kindly to that. So there's the, the fucking chase scene. <laughs> well, we left out what starts the fight. Which is Donovan saying, hey, I didn't know this was a gay bar. No, that's a different thing altogether. You're getting all your bar fights mixed up. Well, can you, like, <laughs> I think it's understandable given this movie. If you have not seen it, it's basically one long bar fight. <laughs> Interspersed with the um, songs, scenes, and music videos. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So did, did you want me to, to summarize what happens at the very if you, quickly if you think we need to i mean i don't even think we need to go into every single detail no we can uh, there's another car chase there's a shootout um there's the chase with donovan on foot uh donovan has a gun now the climax is well the end of the film essentially is started with donovan going into the viper's nest with the fucking mob boss in the rainbow room Gives an ultimatum. Stay away from my territory, my club, my friends. Crime boss does the exact opposite. Sends someone over to the club while Donovan's gone and gets into a fight with Chris, who uh, ends up getting his eye stabbed out with a broken bottle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's intense. <laughs> I like I like the, the direction of how they showed it, where the guy's like sticking the bottle into the lens to like simulate you're getting blinded. Yeah. And what's weird is we don't hear about Chris for the rest of the film. We hear that he's in the hospital, and that's it. He could be dead. He might come back for the sequel. I have no idea. Yeah. But then this really starts off a chain of, like, vengeance that Donovan then goes to find the two people that blinded Chris and delivers the amazing line we heard in the trailer where he goes up to a bartender and says, hey, I didn't know this was a gay bar. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what he says at this point, but then he's like, well, then what's up with those two queers over there? And that instigates the fight <laughs> where Donovan then brutally dispatches both of them, not just with his fists, but by breaking a bottle and stabbing one in the groin with it. Yeah, and, and he, he calls them he calls them puffs. Which is not a slur I had heard before, but it might be British. Hmm. But he commits, a, you know, grievous bodily harm here. I'd imagine this is what classifies as grievous bodily harm. Battery hmm. with a deadly weapon is what it would be called in the United States. And then that escalates into the crime syndicate trying to 
assassinate Donovan in retaliation by sending an army of fucking gunmen after him. I like the one that he shoots off the bike in slow motion. That's the most epic death. Yeah, no, there's there's like, not only is there a vehicle chase, but then there's a fucking dirt bike chase in the woods. A lot of people die. The body count escalates very fast, very suddenly. This is basically if John Woo made a shot on video movie. It would be these 10 minutes. Donovan then goes back to the Rainbow Room and shoots his way through there, killing anybody he can find. He does not find the, the mob boss, but he gets everybody else. And then heads back to the club, the zoo. To spend his last minutes of freedom with Tracy before he has to go back to jail. Yeah, we skipped over it but the police are starting to get involved here probably because donovan stabbed some guy in the nuts with a broken bottle and the final scene we're treated to is donovan giving a tearful well he's not crying because he's too tough he eats like glass for breakfast and shit but she he's giving his girlfriend his the love of his life his soulmate who's in tears a goodbye kiss because the police have shown up to take him away. And she says that when he goes to jail, she'll wait for him because time doesn't matter to her. Man, they all say that. They all say they'll wait. <laughs> and then they just sell all your shit and move out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone ever tells them that time doesn't matter to them, like at all, <laughs> they're lying to themselves. <laughs> oh. Because like, Time matters to us all, okay? I'm pretty sure this is not an accurate portrayal of uh, law enforcement in Great Britain because we have two police officers flanking this dude at the table with shotguns. <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh, Donovan ain't going back, man. He ain't going back to jail. He gets up and does a last stand firing a revolver and the shotguns go off and the movie fucking ends with Twimlow running in slow motion through a scenic meadow like to some degree this is true of all these kinds of movies like you know rambo uh, on down but it's remarkable to me that at the end of this movie we're supposed to see donovan as like the hero as opposed to an insane psychopath <laughs> do, do, do you think he's identifiable at this point <sighs> Obviously, there's a very large morally gray area here. But I, although he might not have the most um, ethical behavior, he is at least on the right side of the film, right? Because you have Murray, who owns this nightclub, runs a legitimate business, who then has to defend it from a crime boss who is basically intimidating him to sell it, right? Like, we can at least be on the side of Murray, right? I mean, I think that's true, but then he's he's shooting the police. Like, it feels like he's gone off the deep end. Yeah, he has gone off the deep end. Yeah. But you don't know what jail's like, man. You haven't been on the other side. <laughs> uh, indeed, I have not. I mean, you can argue that he did nothing wrong, right? He did nothing but retaliate against violence that was put towards him first. They specifically say they don't go to the police because they know the investigation would take too long. 
mm-hmm. but then you know he stabs one guy in the crotch and suddenly the police are showing up asking questions it's all about who you who you stab i guess it's about who you stab yeah all right let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four when i first watched this movie i was half paying attention and i missed a lot of the subtlety that makes this movie great it wasn't until i rewatched it a second time like really paying attention that it really jumped out to me the fact that this was all done by one man well essentially one man right i have a feeling he did more the direction than uh than imdb says because this guy seems like someone who wants to be in control of his artistic vision the entire time it, it this is probably one of the one of the better shot on video things we've seen just because even if it's not the best executed it all works together like it all synergizes really well to me i am starting to doubt my narrative that this movie is not completely serious i think maybe it's probably more half and half and yes there's some uh outdated um uh some outdated humor in this with um you know the forced sexualization of a young woman and um homophobia although it's weird because even though there's a lot of gay digs in this film towards characters i'm telling you man donovan and chris have this total romance going on i have a hard time believing that wasn't intentional it's really hard to believe it's not intentional i was on the fence about it before we started talking about but now i'm i'm sure it has to be intentional so regardless of the intention um, on whether this is supposed to be serious or not, um, what isn't in contention is that this film is genuine. This film feels genuine through and through as a passion slash vanity project from Twimlow. And you can say that perhaps this would be more um, the, the whole vanity part would be more detriment if the quality wasn't so good for what they had to work with i man i really appreciate practical choreography special effects when they get into gunfights the you know the special effects of people getting shot the, the environment getting destroyed it's all like really expertly done especially for a shot on video film so bet- with all that original music um i would say uh i don't know maybe i don't watch enough like euro crime drama or whatever but i'm not used to this sort of a setting for a film i'm more of a sci-fi fantasy guy myself and there's like none of that shit in this film and i i i can't help but love this film i don't know it's really strange again i need to i need to plead with anyone listening to this if you have access to this guy's other films there's like a film where he's a fucking satanist do you want to see that? I want to see that. I'm asking you. Do you want to see oh, that? Oh, I totally want to see that. He has yeah. like fucking green eyes and shit. Yeah, the eye of Satan. I'm down. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably being like a, a, a little generous, but I, I really like this film. I, it's probably like a, a good best worst film. That's what like most normal people would probably consider it a good, a good bad film. I'm giving this one like three stars. I really appreciate it. I don't really know how to rate this movie because I definitely don't think it's good. Um, I don't even think I think it's as well made as you do. I I do think so. 
it's weird because hard takes seriously, right? Like, I think the music is expertly done. Like, I really like this music, but it sounds just like 70s Italian polizia um, disco funk music from 10 years earlier. And I, I love that stuff. It's just hard to take seriously in a movie set in 1980s British pubs, right? And it's difficult for me to take the actors seriously it's difficult for me to take even though the the fight choreography is really well done and even the like the car chases and foot chases in a shot on video movie it's amazingly done but i can't take any of it seriously so if i'm just watching this as a comedy and i'm supposed to grade it on like how much i laughed it's a really good movie but if i'm grading this based on this is a uh, passion project from a guy who wants to speak about the club experience in 1980s England and, uh, you know, give me a glimpse into the world of uh, breakneck bouncers and uh, their, you know, inner conflicts between uh, over turf. Like, if, if that's what you want to do, then this is not a success. This is like a comic book movie to me. But yeah, it please watch it if you like shot on video movies if you like low budget action movies if you like aip type stuff uh that's what this is um and it's really really fun mm. i think if i was rating it purely on quality it would be like a one and a half but if i'm right rating it based on entertainment value it would be like a three and a half so i'm gonna go in the middle two and a half two and a half stars i will say the one area where this movie need well i shouldn't say one area the one area where this needed improvement was uh sound design i think whenever somebody got punched kicked etc they used the same exact sound effect no matter when where or how it happened i'm telling you kung fu movie man it's like the same echo in the room where they recorded it <laughs> so you can really tell it's the same sound effect over and over again uh, it 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 sounds like it sounds like a martial arts movie, but um, I think the biggest issue here is the editing and it, like my difficulty in even telling how much time this takes place over. Perhaps I'm being too generous to like leeway for shot on video films. I give them a lot. Like I, I I've said before, I see it as its own genre or its own medium, but. I just can't tell what this movie's trying to do. I think that's the biggest thing. I think if I knew it was trying to make me laugh or I knew it was trying to be like a hard-edged action film, like I, I would be more generous, but I just don't really know what it's trying to do, and so I end up making fun of it. Does the intention really matter if you're enjoying yourself? Mm, it matters in how much I respect you. <laughs> Although... I haven't made any movies or scored any movies. So actually, you know what? Regardless, uh, Chris Twemlow, I give you a ton of respect. Yeah, you made, you made your vision props. happen. Yeah, he made it happen. Yeah, <laughs> even even if this was like a one star film, he still made it happen. He made eight happen. He made eight happen. <laughs> yeah, and that's not 18 film scores and uh, 22 film departments or whatever. But yeah, he, he made his dream happen. And so mad props. But yeah, uh, if your film totally missed the mark and did something entirely different than what you wanted it to, uh, I don't know. Anyway, 
let's consult the Magic 8-Ball and see what we're watching next week. All right, next week we're doing something completely different. We're watching Freeway from 1996. This is the film that was written and directed by Matthew Bright, who plays the chicken boy in Forbidden Zone. So we discussed this movie when we did episode, I think that was like episode three or four. Four, yeah. This movie's pretty like... Oh, not even. I think it's like episode three. No, wait, was it three? three? I think it was three or four. Three, four, yeah, something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. If you didn't listen to it, go check it out. But this movie's relatively high-budgeted compared to GBH, but still pretty cheap independent film, but has big-name stars in it, right? It stars Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland. Um, but it's, it is totally in line with what we do on this show. If you've dismissed Freeway and, like, haven't watched it because you think it's a just mainstream comedy or even a... Um, I guess mainstream like exploitation film you should watch it it's uh there's <laughs> this is a gem of a picture it's on youtube i don't even have i have this dvd i don't even have it on vhs I and may have um seen this was that i may have seen this but it would have been like decades ago i don't remember there is a freeway 2 which i have never watched but um i have a vhs tape so i just maybe i'll watch that this week too but yeah, this movie's hysterically funny. If you haven't seen it, I'm excited for you. Well, either way, it's going to be like I'm watching it for the first time. Because if I have seen this, I don't really remember it. This is the uh, the charming 90s retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, only with white trash characters. So watch it um, or rewatch it, Freeway from 1996, and then go watch Forbidden Zone so you can see where Matthew Bright came from. And uh, join us next week to talk about Freeway. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything we do. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to us. That would be amazingly helpful. And thank you for those of you who keep coming back um, or recommending us to friends. Leland, do you have any last words? Yo, if you got them Twimlo films, hook us up. Ah, I second that. And as always, thank you for your continued support. All right, and we'll talk to you next week about Freeway.